words on water. Hi, welcome to Words on Water, a podcast from the Water Environment Federation. This is the host, Travis Loop. WEF is very happy to have a small number of nonprofit organizations that we call charities of choice. These are organizations that uh, have an incredible mission related to water and that we want to help uh, promote and put in front of WEF members. One of the most recently recognized charities of choice is Engineers Without Borders. For this episode, I am very happy to be joined by Jackie O'Brien, the Chief Executive Officer of Engineers Without Borders. Jackie, thanks for coming on the podcast. Travis, thank you for inviting us. It's a real pleasure to be here today. And uh, thank you for the recognition of our organization um, you know, looking into WEF, you, you have an amazing platform, so many individuals and association members involved, and, and we are just absolutely thrilled to uh, be part of this and invited to participate in your podcast. Uh, well, the, thank you. You're welcome. The, the feeling is mutual. We, we um, obviously have a lot of respect for what you do at Engineers Without Borders, and so many of our 35,000 members around the world are engineers. <laughs> that is a big part of, of who we are at our core. So it's a real natural fit. Uh, for people that might not be as familiar with your organization, could you talk a little bit about Engineers Without Borders? Absolutely. So we are an international nonprofit that partners with communities to provide customized engineering solutions. And this is really with and for these most vulnerable populations around the world. And this effort's gonna, it, it varies. It ranges anywhere from having kind of our most senior engineering experts who provide consulting services for these communities in need to really mobilizing teams. And these teams can include students and professional engineers. They design and they build infrastructure improvements and they do this hand in hand with our community partners. You know, there isn't really one single solution for addressing community needs, right? Every community we partner with is unique. And that's really why we're focused on engineering solutions that are unique too. And, you know, we, when, we, when we partner with the community, um, we really take the time to understand the, them culturally, geographically. We consider so many variables as we work with them to make sure that the solutions we engineer really are uh, designed and built to last. Hmm. When you, you talk about partnering with communities and going into to a place to, to work uh, collaboratively, um, is this always, or is this for kind of long-term problems they have? Is it sometimes in response to an acute issue that arises or a natural disaster? Or, yeah, I'm just kind of curious a little bit about that. Yeah, it, it can vary. And um, I'll share maybe the story of how it all really got started. And that, and that gives you a sense for uh, the, the organization and our approach. And, and then since then, we've evolved a little bit. And I'll, I'll talk about that. So the, the organization first started in 2000. And uh, Dr. Bernard Amade, who is a professor of civil engineering at University of Colorado Boulder, 
visited community in Belize and was looking at their water supply system. And he got there and what he found was there were 950, almost a thousand Mayan Indians living in the jungle that didn't have clean water or sanitation infrastructure. And so the, the children in this community um, couldn't go to school. They, they spent their days uh, walking miles to collect water. And what I think was so heartbreaking for him was, you know, the community, they had the natural resources, they had the motivation, but what was missing is kind of those technical skills, right? So he, he came home, he came back to the United States and he, he worked with um, colleagues and they came up with some solutions. But then when he came back, he brought um, you know, these, these potential solutions and 14 of his students uh, to really put this action into, into work. And they ended up um, developing and, and supplying a, a, a water system powered by a waterfall about a quarter you know, mile away. Mm. And this was kind of like, a, you know, it was the first project. It was the first Engineers Without Borders project, very simple and um, a low cost solution. But since that time, in, in the almost 20 years, soon to be 20 years, uh, we've grown obviously from those 14 students to a, a, an incredibly diverse community of almost 10,000 volunteers. And we do this um, so, typically through chapter work. And we have about 240 chapters across the US. 165 of these chapters are student-based, student-led. Um, but since, you know, since in the last 20 years, these students have gone on to become professionals, we have about 75 professional chapters. And these chapters right now are working on, um, you know, almost 500 projects in 40 countries and really serving to impact the lives of about 100 or 1.5 million people. This is typically what you think about with uh, Engineers Without Borders. We have um, gone on to evolve as the organization has grown uh, to also um, serve in the consulting roles. And this mm -hmm. might be the United Nations or other um, really big organizations approaching us with a, with a need for a more seasoned professional to provide a, a more specific consulting and expert. And so we, we do this through our engineering service corps um, and, and get into disaster response and all kinds of, uh, of needs that um, a very unique uh, uh, population has the skills to provide. Yeah, that well, that's amazing. You've got a, a network of almost ten thousand volunteers. You've got an army of engineers, and that's that's a good thing. Um, I know you started uh, as the CEO just last August. Um, could you talk a little bit about your background and then maybe kind of your goals for Engineers Without Borders? Absolutely. So, um, starting way back in my background, when I was in elementary school, I remember my father coming home and uh, telling us that we were moving to Lima, Peru, and we were moving there um, as part of his, his job. So my brothers and my family and I packed up on a very, very, very long airplane flight, <laughs> um, landed in Peru, and I, I can remember him taking us uh, to, this, to a field and explaining how um, they were going to build a facility that made bicycle tires. And they were going to create really good jobs along with a product, uh, bicycle tires, for people to use to get to those jobs. And we lived in um, Peru those next several years, really watching that vision turn into reality. And that, you know, that was my exposure uh, to kind of engineering international development. I, I was hooked from a very, very young age. 
um, went on to get my engineering degree. And when I when I looked for an opportunity, um, I found I found that in industry. And I spent uh, 30 years uh, kind of traveling around the world working on projects. I knew that I wanted a first career and then a second career later in life to kind of give back. And about um, when I started approaching the end, you know, that 30 year mark, the company I worked for got involved with Engineers Without Borders. And I can remember going to that very first conference and seeing hundreds of uh, engineers getting together, talking about thousands, you know, hundreds of projects around the world. And I, I was blown away. I was blown away about by the passion, the dedication, the ingenuity, um, all of these people coming up with amazing solutions and, uh, and helping people all around the world. I, at that point, I knew I had found my home. I, um, I ended up uh, joining and, and serving on the board of Engineers Without Borders. I uh, obviously, I got my family involved. It became a family affair. My husband traveled to uh, Dominica um, working on an initiative we did there for a few years. And if you, if you read National Geographic, they've got a phenomenal article about how Dominica is on track to become the first hurricane uh, resilient um, uh, country. And we were, uh, you know, Engineers Without Borders was a big part of um, supporting uh, that effort. Um, but in, in, as, I, as, I, as, as luck would have it, so my 30 year career, um, the former CEO, Kathy Leslie and myself who, who had obviously become close, she was looking to move on to the next phase in her life. And so when, it, when the opportunity uh, came up to step in as CEO, I, I, I jumped at it in the midst of a global pandemic, which was yeah. uh, quite interesting. Um, yeah, that's just a, it's quite a time to step into an executive role of an organization. It's, you know, it's always a big, a big um, move. Uh, with a lot to deal with and figure out, but boy, just having just having those logistics on top of it, I imagine, makes it even more interesting. For sure, um, you know. Fortunately, I'll, I'll say that what's amazing about the uh, organization is, um, the, the, you know, recognizing uh, that uh, that that typically the organization have been built on traveling to locations and and you know working in the field. Um, that had to be paused. But obviously, the need did not. In fact, the need was really greater than ever. Uh, so we did a lot of really um, creative things around uh, remote implementation, um, coming up with uh, hackathons and, and ideas to figure out how to rap rapidly implement solutions and all of that. Organizationally, um, what we really did was we kind of took 2020 um, to say, you know, use the pandemic to help with our thinking about reflecting and planning strategically for the next kind of chapter of the organization. So we, what we ended up doing, we, we refreshed our strategic plan. And as we speak, we're in the process of rolling that out. And when, when you asked kind of about, you know, the goals and what comes next, uh, we lined up to, to three basic kind of pillars. And one is the first one really about deepening our impact. If you looked at, you know, what we've done, we, we've grown from 14 students to 10,000 uh, volunteers. Um, we've moved, you know, all over the world. Uh, we've gone really, really broad. Uh, and we, we also opened in-country offices because we recognize that you need to be there. And so we've got offices in Nicaragua, Guatemala, uh, Uganda, and Ecuador. And those were absolutely essential to continuing our impact in the pandemic. We were able to do remote implementation. 
um, we were able to uh, really connect with those communities and understand what their needs were and kind of delivering on that aspect. The second goal I'll say is, um, you know, develop is around human capacity. We know that diverse human capacity is our greatest asset, right? And, and what we're really doing is figuring out how to invest in all of our stakeholders and really create pathways. And, and a great example of this, I was just recently on a discussion with a student organization that talked about one of their experiences where they showed up in a community and there was this 10-year-old boy that was an amazing leader for the community. He showed up at the job site every day. He helped communication, um, you know, amongst the folks. And, we, the, you know, the point being that there's amazing human talent and ability all over the world and within our, you know, our stakeholder community. So how do we, how do we really work together systematically and, uh, and create opportunities for everyone? So that, that's our second pillar. And then the third one is, again, uh, I think being, we're trying to do this in the midst of a global pandemic really helped influence our thinking around adaptive capacity. So really being able, you know, in this ever-changing world with all uncertainty, how do you, uh, how do you set up resilient systems and scalable solutions and transparency? And we had implemented uh, climate resiliency thinking into all of our projects a few years ago. So anytime um, in any of our hundreds of projects that have been launched, there is an element to thinking through climate. We're, we're really kind of taking a step and figuring out how we go even deeper around that aspect. So th those are the, the, the three uh, goals. We're, as I said, rolling it out now. So any of your, uh, Listeners who want to see it, check our websites and, and you'll, you'll get an under, a deeper understanding of what those are. And you'll also see we are going to be releasing um, targets for each one of us. And that's going to kind of guide our focus for the next few years here. Fantastic. Well, it makes sense that, you know, a group of engineers are planning like that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, that yeah. And engineers, there's, there's a variety of engineers, right? And a variety of, of uh, fields of engineering. I'm just curious if you could talk a little bit more about kind of the water and sanitation side of things and uh, the, the, you know, impact and reach of, of your organization on that side. So, you know, when we look at our communities, uh, providing reliable and safe water, reliable and safe water and sanitation is absolutely at the core of what we do. Uh, the water and sanitation projects have been our most common uh, project type. Um, last year, almost 60% of our completed projects were related to water and sanitation. And we worked on over 335 water and sanitation projects around the world. Um, well, they are a core component. One of the things that we that we do take a look at is, you know, I mentioned the the climate resiliency aspect. Um, you know, if we show up with a clinic that needs safe and reliable water, uh, we obviously work on that in partnership with that community. We also do take um, advantage, and we look if if this is a structure that has a roof or there's a bridge, which is how people get to this facility. If those are vulnerable to storms or you know other um, things that could that could impact it, 
we take a look at it holistically because, well, obviously water is is absolutely essential to life and essential for this clinic to be able to function. We also want it to be sustainable. And so I think, you know, as you mentioned, having kind of that broader aspect um, helps ensure that the water and sanitation projects we do sustain uh, any challenges that that may um, come uh, to hit it. Um, we we do, uh, as I mentioned, you know, we have a we have a variety of ways um, that we work with communities, uh, and you know, I, I think a, a great story for the global pandemic is um, this: what I mentioned about remote implementation and kind of meeting community needs. So, um, one of my favorite stories is uh, last year in Uganda. Um, the community trades goods at markets, right? So this is essential. This is where people bring uh, food and goods and people's uh, members of the community show up and this is where they, they get their food and all those other essentials that they need to survive. But this is happening in the middle of a global pandemic. And so what do we tell people? Wash your hands, wear a mask. In the market, they, they didn't really have access to be able to mm. have clean water to wash their hands. So um, what we ended up doing was um, first engineers, uh, you know, origin of the word is in Latin ingenuity. We called out um, to Uganda, the response innovation lab, and, and, and we said, look, here's the challenge. Soap, soap bars can be, they can harbor bacteria, right? And liquid soap is very expensive and not always sustainable to get. So we challenged them to come up with a, a, a way to safely dispense bar soap. We had an innovation challenge. We had 31 applications, and we awarded um, we awarded the, the the winning solution to a local entrepreneur. And you, you can see the design on our website; it's fabulous. We installed over 200 of these hand washing stations in high traffic areas, and they, you know, the the, the beautiful thing when you see these things, they are safe, they are dignified. Um, we have mirrors so people can can see themselves. And uh, it, it, and we were giving people a chance to do what it, what it's required for them to go about their daily life in a safe manner. And uh, we heard from the health inspector in the um, uh, from the city authority, and you know, reporting that the local rates of disease and diarrhea infection have declined um, because residents are turning to these hand washing stations. Uh, to help improve hygiene during the pandemic. So that, I, I think that's just a great kind of summary of how we can work uniquely on on a water and sanitation issues, um, especially, you know, during a global pandemic. But I also want to share another story because, you know, it's not just around the world. We, we have needs in our own backyard. And so we do have a consulting program that's targeted um, to work here in the United States. And uh, an example of, of how we would work with that is we, um, we have a, an organization, Community Engineering Corps, that we partner with American Society of Civil Engineers and American Waterworks Association. And communities uh, will come to us. And, and an example of that is the town of Grover Hill in Ohio. They had a failing sanitation system they could not afford to do the engineering feasibility study um, that, that needed to decide what the next best steps they should take. So our volunteers did the assessment, they developed the recommendations. And then what this did was we created a, um, you know, a, a, a path 
for them to actually apply for and receive grants. And, and they were able to do that and secure the funds and actually put in the implementation. Mm. So, you know, while, while the work we do around the world and probably what we're known for best, we, we recognize that the, there's 2 million people living in the U.S. that lack access to safe water. And, and they are near and dear to our hearts. And, and we are uh, very focused on um, helping everyone. Absolutely. Uh, my last question for you is uh, a really important one. Our um, WEF members, uh, that how can they support Engineers Without Borders? How can they get involved? Well, the volunteers are the absolute heartbeat of our organization. We have 10,000 current, um, and we also recognize there's a tremendous amount of overlap between WEF, WEF organization and members and our uh, organization and members. So there's really so many ways uh, for people to get involved. Um, you can really customize your experience, what it is, um, how you want to participate. Like I said, we've got you know 75 professional chapters. They work on both international and domestic projects. And you can serve in any way from becoming a mentor to becoming a reviewer. Obviously all of these solutions we come up with, we need really truly qualified engineers doing um, extensive reviews so that that's a way and then we have um, a number of committees and this is anywhere from committees who specialize in project management to climate resiliency to water and sanitation content experts so there, there's there's a whole host of ranges to get involved and and the great thing is we've got a, a really well-developed, um, incredible platform called Volunteer Village. And uh, you can access that, you can join for free, you can log on and you can see all of our education resources, all of our projects underway. You can find professional uh, chapters and, and really get connected with everything that's going on with the new organization. Fantastic. Well, uh, again, we at WEF are really happy to partner up with you all and, and have you as a charity of choice. Um, you know, so much important work happening around the world and, and here in the U.S. where we're based um, and look forward to uh, more good work ahead and, and um, getting our WEF members even more engaged with you all. But Jackie, thank you so much for your time and all this good information. Thank you so much. Uh, we couldn't be more honored to be here and uh, we look forward to seeing uh, Anyone from left, log on to Volunteer Village and um, getting involved. Words on water. <laughs>